is an absolute honor to stand before you this morning as we get ready to bring another message from the Word of God. I want to thank Jacob and Lewis and Patrick for, uh, for serving this morning in the way that you guys have done. You guys have done a great job. But I also want to encourage the other men of this congregation. You know, we have some newly uh, minted, newly baptized uh, boys that, hey, guess what? You don't have to wait till you're men in order to do these things, you know. We can start to have a class if you guys are interested for anybody who wants to, um, you know, learn how to maybe do a, the open air closing prayer, maybe preside over the Lord's Supper, maybe sing. I'm not the one to lead singing, but Chuck, you know, Lewis, some of the other ones may be. I always joke around. I say, if you get to me singing, we're at the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> and so, but no, I just want to encourage the, the men of the congregation, the, the young men of the congregation as well, that, hey, you know, it's an absolute pleasure and an honor to be able to stand up. The Lord has chosen us to lead the congregation and to perform these duties. And it's an honor to do them. And so I would just want to encourage you to think about it. If you're a baptized member of the church and uh, one of the young men or older men, please let us know if you'd like to get involved in helping in the worship service. But as we get here the, this morning, Mother's Day kind of interrupted the series I was working on. And so hopefully all you mothers had a wonderful uh, day. And, uh, you know, you got it. Jim told me, he goes, you know, you don't preach on any other holidays, but you preach on Mother's Day, you know, on Mother's Day. I said, hey, you got to keep the ladies happy, right? And I said, a smart man does those things. But, you know, I think about uh, the lessons that I was, I was, I was kind of hinting at or, or preaching before we, were, uh, we, before we got to Mother's Day. You know, is there a God? Can we know God? What is his nature? And so now we're going to look at another question that, that many often ask. And if you look on the screen behind me, and he says, what was the purpose of the Old Testament? You know, as Christians, we need to know what the purpose of the Old Testament is. We need to know why, that as Christians, even though we know we're New Testament Christians of the law of Christ, and yet we still study the Old Testament. Why is it that we study the Old Testament? What's the purpose of the Old Testament? Well, today we're going to look to answer those questions because it's important, brethren, as we talk to people in the world, that we know who God is. That we know the nature of God, that we know our own nature, and that we're made in the image of God. It's important that we understand why we have an Old Testament. It's important to understand why we have a New Testament. But before you can get to the New Testament, you have to have the Old Testament. Because there is no New Testament without the Old Testament. Amen? Why? Because what do we learn about in the Old Testament? Well, first and foremost, we learn about God. We learn about creation. We learn about his nature. We learn about sin. We learn about Satan. We learn about the first marriages and the first families and the first cities and the first governments. There's so much that we learn that we could take away from the Old Testament. But you know what the main thing that we learn about the Old Testament is? It's a history of the Jewish people. And it's important that it's not a history of all mankind, all nations. It's a history of the Jewish people. Why? Because they were chosen by God in order to be the, the people that God was going to bring the seed line through. And so how very important was the seed line? Well, without that seed line, there is no Christ. There is no Messiah. And there is no Christianity. And so, brethren, we look to answer the question here this morning. As Christians, why should we study the Old Testament? What's the purpose of the Old Testament? Well, brethren, we understand that it's, a, as I said a moment ago, it's a history of the Jewish people. We know that God had selected them to be the people through whom he was going to bring the Messiah. And so as we look at this, God had promised through Abraham, the patriarch of the, human, uh, the, patriarch of the Hebrew people, that he would be a blessing, that through his descendants, they would be a blessing to all nations. 
Well, how and why was Abraham going to be a blessing to all nations through his offspring? Well, you need to look at some of the promises that God makes to Abraham. And it begins in Genesis chapter 12 is where we'll look at here this morning. And in verses 1 through 3 of Genesis chapter 12, notice what the Lord says. The Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you shall be a blessing. And I will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. And so, brethren, when we look at this information here this morning. In God's dealing with Abraham, He made several promises, did He not? When we study out the Bibles, we know that there were several promises that were made. First, God promised that to give Abraham's descendants a land to call their own. He promised that his descendants would grow into a great nation. And he promised that all the nations of the world would be blessed through Abraham. But how and why would they be blessed through Abraham? That's the question we need to really ask ourselves. And to really look at that, we go to another passage in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 18. And we notice that in that simple passage, it says, In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice, because you have been righteous, because you have been faithful, you have been obedient. And because of that, I will use you, I will bless you, and your offspring, your descendants, will end up being what? They will be a blessing to all nations. And so, brethren, we look at this passage of Scripture here this morning, and I want you to focus in on one simple word in that passage. And that word is seed. It says, because we need to understand about the seed line. We need to understand about the seed versus seeds being plural. So many people, they read this verse and they conclude that the Hebrew nation is going to be a blessing to all the world and that they're going to be a nation that rises and that's going to be above all other nations. That's not what the Bible's telling us. That's not what this passage is telling us. To correctly understand Genesis chapter 22 and verse 18. Brothers and sisters, we need to look at the whole of Scripture. We know that the Old Testament is like a tutor, right? It's like a teacher, a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. We'll look at a passage that speaks of that here shortly. But before we do, brethren, I want you to understand that as we look at the whole of Scripture, the, the New Testament, sometimes through the Holy Spirit-led writers, will then give, uh, I guess you could say, will give us better understanding of what God was trying to tell us in the Old Testament. So in verse 22 and 18 of Genesis, it says, in your seed. Well, then you flash, fast forward to Galatians in the New Testament, and you see the Apostle Paul, he wrote uh, uh, really a letter to the people of Galatia, the province of Galatia. There were probably about 10 different congregations in that province. And we know that he kind of gives them a tongue lashing because they were already falling away from, the, from, the, from God and from the gospel in which he had delivered unto them. And in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 16, the Apostle Paul told the people of Galatia, Now the promises that were spoken to Abraham and to his seed says this. He does not say seeds, he says seed, as refer, not referring to many, but as referring to one. And that one is the Christ. And so brethren, you look at Galatians chapter 3 and verse 16. Who is the Apostle Paul being guided by? He's guided by the Holy Spirit of God. 
And if he's guided by the Holy Spirit of God, then God is then explaining everything that he meant by these previous passages and these previous promises. We understand, brethren, that the clear understanding is that the promise refers to one descendant. It didn't mean that all the, all the descendants would be a blessing, but one descendant of Abraham would be a blessing to all the nations of the world. And so, brethren, as we consider the seed line, have you ever really wondered, when we look at the Old Testament, why the Jews, why the Hebrew people, why they just took such great care and how they, how they were so thorough in doing their genealogies? Have you ever really stopped to think about that? Anybody here ever uh, start read Matthew chapter 1 and you just like literally obliterate all those names? I'm not going to read it for you today because I'll mess them all up. And then you look at Luke chapter 3 and it's the same thing. You see another genealogy. There is a reason for the genealogies. Ask yourself, what was the purpose of them? Well, in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 1, it gives the legal genealogy through Joseph. But we, when you get to Luke chapter 3, it gives the literal genealogy. That's through Mary. And so it uses both of its parents. But the purpose of the genealogies is for one reason and one reason only. It's to prove that Jesus is the promised Messiah. And that was the reason for the genealogies. That was the reason why they took such great care in, uh, in recording and keeping records of the different generations of Jews and the Hebrews. And so, brethren, we look at this information, and now we fast forward from Abraham, we go through Isaac, we pass Jacob, and we get to this gentleman named Moses, right? And we know that Moses was God's representative on earth. And when we get to Moses, God uses him, and he uses Aaron as his mouthpiece to bring the people out of Egyptian bondage. But we also know that when they get to Mount Sinai, three months after being removed from Egypt and from bondage, that we know that God had given them a law. We call it the law of Moses, but before we get to the law of Moses, we have the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments are the foundation of the law of Moses. And so, brothers and sisters, we look at this information, and as we get to the law of Moses, we know that it was given to the Hebrew people, the Hebrew people and them alone. It was for nobody else but them. We know this because it clearly states it in Exodus 19. In verses 1 through 6, it clearly states it in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 1 through 1 and 2. And so, brothers and sisters, we look at the Ten Commandments and we ask ourselves, you know, when you think about the Ten, Command the Ten Commandments, they were clearly given only to the children of Israel three months after they re were removed from Egypt. And the Ten Commandments were the foundation of the law of Moses. And some have asked, as, you, as I've studied with others, they'll ask the question, so what is the purpose then of the Ten Commandments? What's the purpose of the law of Moses? Well, it's simple, really, that God needed to teach them what sin was. Why? Because they spent over 400 years in bondage to a pagan people that worshipped anything and everything as God. And so they no longer really knew what sin was because every God had a different, uh, a different uh, standard for morality, if you will. And so there was confusion as to what was God's expectation for a people that would be his chosen people. And so once again, in order to answer the question, what was the purpose of the Ten Commandments and the Law of Moses? We look to Scripture. In Galatians chapter 3 and verse 19, the Apostle Paul once again gives a clear answer. In 3 and 19 of Galatians, it says, Paul says, what, uh, why the law then? 
He says it was added because of transgressions, meaning sin, having been ordained through angels and the, and the agency of a mediator until the seed would come to whom the promise had been made. So there's that, that word seed again that I mentioned earlier. We talk about the seed line. The law was given to show man our need for a savior. The law was given to clearly show what sin is. The law was given to show man that we could not live perfectly no matter how hard we tried. And that's why the Apostle Paul and Peter, they would often uh, uh, ridicule their Jewish brethren because they kept trying to uh, um, behold the, the, the Gentile converts to the law of Moses. They said, why are you looking to yoke these converts to Christianity, uh, yoke them with a law that you yourselves could not keep, that we ourselves could not keep? And so, brethren, you look at this. The law was given for a reason. It was given to show us what sin is. It was, it was to show them what sin was. And Because remember, God's people, his chosen people, were to be a holy nation, a nation of priests, a nation that was set apart from the world. Well, what was it that set, apart, set them apart from the world? It was their faithfulness to the law of Moses. Because that law taught them exactly what was pleasing and displeasing in the sight of God. And so we look at this, brethren. The law was given to show man that we could not live perfectly. It was given to show man that we needed a Savior. And to show man that there is only hope for a life eternal through the Messiah. There's only uh, hope for restoration in our relationship with God through the Christ, through the Messiah. And we also know that the law of Moses is likened to us unto a tutor. You look at Galatians chapter 3 and you look at verse 24. And the scriptures clearly tell us, it says, Therefore the law has become to us a tutor. To do what? To lead us to Christ. And it leads us to Christ so that we may be justified, made right by faith. What is faith? Biblical faith is belief, trust, and obedience. So through biblical faith, we can be made right or justified by God, by being obedient to his law. We also know, brethren, that some have asked the question, okay, so there's the Ten Commandments, there's the law of Moses. Well, how long was it intended to last? Well, that's a good question. Because we need to understand that it was never meant to be a permanent law. It was never meant to last forever. And so remember Galatians chapter 3, 16, and verse 19 that we looked at a moment ago. It mentioned it was only to last until the seed. Well, what was the seed talking about? Well, I showed you earlier that the seed was talking about Jesus. It was talking about the Christ, the Messiah. So who is the seed? Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, you look at this information and we, we study this stuff out. Because as we look to answer the question, who is God? Can we know God? What is God's nature? Uh, as we look to answer those questions, and then we look to the old law, that's where we begin to learn about the love of God. We learn about the patience of God, the forbearance of God. We learn about the grace and the mercy of God. Rather, we learn so many things about God by studying out how he has dealt with his creation, how he has dealt with mankind. We learn about creation. We learn about the family unit. We learn about Satan. We learn about sin. We learn about a million other things by studying these things out. But mostly we learn of the love of God and how God wanted to put a plan of redemption in place so that we could have salvation, so we could be brought back into relationship with the Creator. And so as we study this out, brethren, so how long, was the, uh, how long was the law of Moses to last? 
only until the Christ, until the seed would come, just like it said in verse 19. And so you look at this information. I want you to open your Bibles this morning to Ephesians chapter 2. Because in Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul, through the people of Ephesus, is going to give us some information here that's crucial to really understanding what I'm talking about here this morning. And in Ephesians chapter 2, I want you to turn to verse 11. Ephesians chapter 2, and I want us to look at verse 11 through 16. And we're going to look at these, brethren, because it's going to show us exactly why there needed to be a new law, why the old law was never designed to be permanent, and why the old law was never going to save anyone. It was simply to show God's chosen people exactly what sin was. So that way they could learn from their mistakes, they could repent and turn away from sin, and become the holy nation that God had so desperately wanted them to be. So in Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11, notice what it says. Therefore, remembering that formerly you, talking about Gentiles, the Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, talking about Jews, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God and in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. And that barrier of the dividing wall spoke of the law and the Ten Commandments. We know that in verse 15 it says, By abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which means strife or ill will, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that he himself might make the two men into, uh, make the two men into one, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by having put to death that ill will, that strife, that enmity. So what do we learn here in Ephesians chapter 2? What's the point of looking at it? Brethren, we understand that Christ Jesus came to bring peace. Christ Jesus came to be the great unifier. You see, because God only chose the Jewish people to bring the seed line, to bring the Christ, the Messiah, into the world. And so when he did that, we understand that when the Messiah was going to come, he wasn't going to establish a physical kingdom, but a spiritual kingdom. And when he came, he was going to break down the barrier of the dividing wall, as it said. And so Jesus came to bring peace between Jews and Gentiles. Peace was needed. Why? It was needed because the Jews hated the Gentiles. The Jews, they looked at their laws, they looked at their traditions, they looked at the fact that they were God's chosen people, and they often turned up their nose to anybody and everybody else. They would look past their own sin, and they would call out the sins of the world. They would look at how sinful their neighbors were, and never realize that they were an abomination in many times, in many places throughout history, to God himself. So brethren, we know that when you study this out, Christ came to bring peace, and to do that he had to abolish the old law and its commandments. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 15, if you still have your Bible, turn there. Notice that it says that he uses the word abolish. What does the word abolish mean? It means to destroy. It means to do away with. And then it also says in verse 15, he's going to do away with it. He's going to destroy it in his flesh. Well, what is that talking about? It's talking about Jesus' death on the cross. 
and how that he will willfully sacrifice himself for the betterment of all mankind. So what's the point of, of chapter 2 of Ephesians? It's to understand that Jesus died on the cross and destroyed the law, destroyed the commandments, which caused division, which caused strife and ill will between the Jews and the rest of the nations. He could only offer peace and salvation to mankind if he removed the law that caused it in the first place. And so, brothers and sisters, to more clearly illustrate this point, once again, we look at the whole of Scripture. The Apostle Paul, guided by the Holy Spirit, had this to say in Colossians chapter 2 and in verse 14. It says, Having canceled out the certificate of debt, consisting of decrees against us, it's talking about the law, which was hostile towards us, talking about the Gentiles, and he has taken it out of the way, having what? Nailed it to the cross. Jesus canceled out the law of commandments, which caused strife and ill will between the Jews and the Gentiles at his death on the cross. So then, why was the law removed? Well, it's very simple. The law had to be removed so all people have an opportunity to be united to their Savior. You see, because Jesus didn't come to be the Savior of the Jews, Jesus came to be the Savior of the world. Remember in John chapter 12, he says, I didn't come to, uh, to judge the world, but I came to save the world. But you have one who judges you. The words in which I speak is what judges you in the last day. So we understand when we look at this, when one studies out the old, less, the old law, when one studies out the prophecies of the old law, you learn that God had prophesied about the abolishing of the law of Moses. I want you now to open your Bible to the prophet Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 31, in verse 31 uh, through 34, we're going to see in Scripture how God had shows us he never intended for the law of Moses and the commandments to be permanent. He, he shows us through the prophet Jeremiah that there was going to be a new covenant. There was going to be a new law. So in Jeremiah chapter 31, notice what it says in verse 31 through 34. Behold, I'll give you another second to turn there. Jeremiah 31, verse 31 through 34 says this. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a what? A new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, although I was like a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sins I will remember no more. Brethren, that passage of Scripture is important because then you also fast forward 600 years and there was another writer who penned the Scriptures, penned in the Scriptures, in the book of Hebrews, that's in the New Testament. And I'm not going to read it, but if you went back and you looked at Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 8 through 12, you're going to see that almost the identical thing is stated 600 years into the future. And that we understand that the law of Moses was written on stone, but the law of Christ was going to be written on the hearts. And so, brothers and sisters, we look at the scriptures here this morning. 
When a child was born to, a, to Jewish parents, we know that they were born under the old law. They were born Jews. But they had to later then be taught about God. They had to later be taught about the law of God. By comparison, one is not a Christian at birth. We understand that he must be taught the law of Christ. We understand that we must be taught the law of Christ. And then after knowing about God, after knowing about Christ, after knowing about the plan of redemption and salvation, then and only then that person has to make a choice. You either choose to obey it or you don't. So you're not, just because you have Christian parents, you're not born a Christian. Just like the Jews, they were born into uh, the Jewish uh, covenant or the Jewish uh, as, as, as a Jew, but they still had to be taught the law of God. And then they still had to choose if they were going to be faithful. And likewise, we as Christians, our children are not born Christians. They have to be taught the law of Christ, and they have to determine whether or not they will choose to be obedient to the law of Christ. And so, brethren, we look at the scriptures here this morning, and we understand that when you look at this information, it's important to realize the reason why I make, make the distinction between the two and show that both of them had to be taught the law and that both of them had to choose if they were going to be obedient because under the old law, forgiveness of sins was not absolute. There was no absolute forgiveness of sins under the old law. Under the old, but under the law of Christ, forgiveness of sins will be offered to all mankind. For all of those who are willing to put on Christ Jesus in baptism, who are willing to live faithfully, who are willing to be obedient until their death. If you do that, if you choose God, you choose faithfulness, you will become a child of God. And the law of Christ will be written on your heart. means it will be written on your mind because you had to take the time to spend time learning the law of Christ. And as I stated a moment ago, complete forgiveness was not given under the old law. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1 through 4 speaks of this. It talks about how the blood, the, the, the blood of uh, bulls and goats uh, had, 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 did not have the power or the ability to, to erase sin. And each and every year in the Jewish system, we understand that there was a day of atonement. And that was, the day of atonement was when the high priest would go into the, the Holy of Holies and he would offer a sacrifice for his own sin, but then he had to offer another sacrifice for the sins of the people of Israel. And so what's the point of, of mentioning that? The point of mentioning is, that it, is because it shows that the law of Moses was a shadow of things to come. It was a shadow of the law of Christ. And it was never meant to be permanent, and it was designed to teach Israel simply what sin is. Because they spent 400 years being influenced by a pagan people that worshipped everything under the sun, and that immorality was rampant throughout Egypt. And so, brothers and sisters, we know that the law uh, is important. We know that it's like a schoolmaster, a teacher that leads us to Christ. But we also have to understand that today we still study as Christians, we still study the Old Testament because it gives us a glimpse into the preparation that God had taken in order to bring a redemptive plan to mankind. It shows us the preparation. It shows us the plan and how it has unfolded throughout history. And throughout the Old Testament, we see God's prophecies and we see his providence working and, and how, how, he, how his prophecies and providence work to bring about the Christ at the appropriate time.
We also study out the Old Testament because we learn of God's love, we learn of his determination, and we learn about his concern that he has for all mankind. Brothers and sisters, we also use the Old Testament because of the prophecies. The prophecies are so very important. Do you know why the prophecies are important? Because it proves that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. You could go back and you could study these things out. All of the prophecies about the Messiah and the Old Testament are critical to prove and to show that Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the Son of God. That he is who he claims to be. And we understand and we study out this. Uh, we, we understand that Jesus fulfilled over 60 major prophecies. And over those 60 major prophecies, some of them were prophesied a thousand years before he was ever even born. And we know that he fulfilled those in great detail. Brethren, as I get ready to close this lesson down, we also understand that the Old Testament teaches us about creation. It teaches us how we, are to under, how we can understand the nature of God as, as well as understand our own nature. We use the Old Testament to learn about the sacredness of human life. We use the Old Testament to learn about marriage and the family unit and morality and Satan and sin and a hundred other things. Brethren, the Bible is God's love letter to his creation. The Bible is God's love letter to his children because we are all God's children, whether you're in the church or not. Whether you know it or not, if you're a child of God, you're his creation. And if you're his creation, then he has hopes and desires that you will repent of the sin in your lives and you will turn to him and that his love will embrace you. His mercy and his grace will surround you and cover you. So brothers and sisters, Christians study the Old Testament so we can provide answers. Provide answers to those who are seeking after God. And we could teach them of God's love. We could teach them of salvation. We could teach them about the plan of redemption. We could teach them about the seed line. The Old Testament was never meant to be a history of all the nations of the world. It was simply meant to be a history of one nation. The nation of Israel. And it's the Jewish people. And we, and we know that God had chose them to be the seed line in which he was going to bring the Messiah, into this world. And that Messiah was going to, at his death on the cross, destroy the old law, cancel out the old law, and institute a new law. This week we looked at what's the purpose of the Old Testament, so that way next week when we talk about the New Testament, you'll have a better understanding of why the New Testament is important. Brethren, if you have any questions about this lesson afterwards, talk with me. Talk with your elders. We'll be able to answer those questions for you and give you answers. That's the beautiful thing about our faith. There's answers. We don't have a blind faith. We have a faith that God has spelled out for us in Scripture. Jesus Christ is a real person of history. Uh, God, the Father, Jehovah God, is a living God. He's not a dead God. He's a living God. And so we can answer the questions that the world would, call, would, 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 would use to try to get us to sow doubt in our hearts. There's answers to all the questions that are out there if you're willing to look for them, if you're willing to search them out. So, brethren, if you're here today and you are hearing this message and you are not a child of God and you wish to become a child of God, you could come forward this morning. You could go down into the waters of the baptistry. You know why? Because it'll, it'll wash away your sins. Just like we learn about in Acts chapter 22 and verse 16. Uh, when, when Ananias told Paul, why, are you, why, are you, why, why delay? 
Get up and be baptized. What? Washing away your sins. We know that when we go down into the watery grave of baptisms, our sins are washed away. We receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. God himself adds us to the kingdom. There's no man who could add you to the kingdom of God. God himself add, adds all those to the kingdom who make Jesus the Lord of their life. If that is your desire this morning, come forward as we stand and sing the song of invitation. <laughs>